The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at halliburtonlabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast. I'm your host, Jose Solis, and today I am joined by Ernst with Blue Bear Capital, Mr. Ernst Sack. And just to a quick note, our topic today is going to be the gap between VC and the energy industry. And just so you guys know, Ernst and his group have recently raised $150 million for their current fund. Ernst, welcome to the show. Jose, thank you for having me. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, just give the listeners a little bit of your background and, and let them know who you are. Sure. I'll be quick on my personal background and want to make sure the Blue Bear platform is as transparent and accessible as possible to, to your listeners, which is a big part of what excites us to work with the founders and builders in the energy industry. But I personally came to this having really grown up between the Midwest and Germany, spent a lot of my time in the Pittsburgh area. So I've always been surrounded by the steel and coal and increasingly gas activity in that area and just been immersed in how fundamental it is to economic development and job creation and all those things, but also looking forward, including internationally at at social development in places like Eastern Europe, Russia, post-Soviet, and how access to reliable, sustainable, cost-effective energy systems really helps drive people's standard of living upward. So that was my philosophical interest and commercial interest in the energy industry. And I came to learn that being a an investor on the private side gave you really direct access to people building companies and innovating with technology and business models in a way that is just hard to get when you're at a large existing platform that already has its well-established ways of doing business. So I'll pause there about my path to energy. And then just on the investment side of it, I was fortunate to end up spending almost 10 years at the largest energy-focused private equity firm in the world, a firm called Riverstone with about $40 billion of capital under management, investing in later stage oil, gas, wind, solar, biomass, pipeline, power-type businesses. And in the course of that was both in the U.S. and Europe and realized that earlier stage digital tech was the one missing piece of the equation for some of the world's smartest energy investors. So I thought there might be an opportunity there. So that's where you guys saw the gap with at Blue Bear, right? You, you saw that that gap. And so how are you guys, would you say, how are you deploying your capital to now fill that gap? Yeah, exactly. And the original motivation for us was seeing that a lot of the people who are smartest about large-scale energy infrastructure, whether it's offshore production platforms or transmission and distribution infrastructure or utility-scale renewable assets just didn't necessarily speak software and certainly not speak early stage VC and felt that those were less serious, less, I don't know, less industrial scale type businesses to be working. And if you're building software, you're basically at Facebook was kind of the mentality of a lot of the people I ran into in in the energy industry. And this is back 
over the last five, 10 years. I think it's changing now. And meanwhile, if you go to Silicon Valley, the attitude towards large scale industrial assets was also that they were foreign and that it's more fun to build ad tech and dating tech and consumer tech. And so we, we felt that there is a gap there to be able to connect great founders who have best in class software development and, and business model ideas with the world's most important physical asset based industries. And we basically tried that idea out and found a lot of appetite for it, a lot of traction for it. Founders are excited to build things that matter and work in the real physical world, but it's helpful to them to have connectivity at the investor and board level. You know, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, I had an opportunity to visit with some of the companies that you guys have invested mm-hmm. in at the networking event that you held in Beverly Hills last week and making it sound fancy. <laughs> well, I mean, that's where it was at, right? I mean, I remember being really impressed, all the lights and the streets and just being like, wow, this is you know, one of the last places I would have ever thought the energy industry would have taken me was in Beverly Hills. But you know, getting a chance yeah, to uh, to meet with some of the founders that you guys have invested in some of the companies and just sort of seeing the range of people really is a testament to your ability to, you know, sort of have an unbiased point of view on what to look for exactly. Because there were people that had, you know, I could tell they were students before they became founders and they met in school and then they became founders together and you guys invested in them. And then there was a couple of founders that had been working out of their garage and you know built something and that was really interesting to you guys and you invested. So they come from two different backgrounds, two different worlds. So there's definitely a nice mixture of people that it looks like you guys are able to identify that have maybe some common thread, like just talent wise. Right. Hmm. And so that's really yeah. interesting to see because it wasn't just a room filled of copycat type investors from, or not investors, but company founders Mm -hmm. that I could tell. I mean, they just seem to really be, I mean, everything from, you know, different backgrounds, age ranges, the whole nine, it seemed like it was a nice mixture. So that was really interesting to see that you guys were able to sort of, it tells me that you've taken time to really think about not just who you're investing in, but, you know, not having like what I would consider like investors bias, or it's just like, you're looking for one type of egg you know, you're looking for multiple types, right? So I thought that was really interesting. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you is, is on that note is when companies want to be considered for one of your funds, what are some of the things that you guys are looking for specifically and what would make them attractive to investment? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me just touch on the geography point because that's, that's part of what brings us to how we look for and try to build the experience base and the, and the type of people in our founding teams. We settled on Los Angeles because it's a world-class city with you know, many millions of people and a very strong tech ecosystem, number three in the U.S. in venture capital funding activity behind, I think, the area in Boston or New York, one of the two. But in any case, you've got a lot of access to Silicon Valley and really that innovative entrepreneurial spirit that California has really built over the decades without being in the echo chamber of Silicon Valley. So you talk about that diversity of, of types of people. We love Silicon Valley and spend a chunk of time there, but you do see more of a monoculture there than in other large cities like Los Angeles. And meanwhile, Los Angeles has this really strong industrial heritage and activity base. You, you've always had Boeing, Lockheed, Raytheon, SpaceX, for example, the port of LA and port of Long Beach together with Houston are really the biggest, most active import and export routes or, or, or terminals in the US. So there's a lot more 
engineering-minded talent than you have in some financial capitals and some pure play tech capitals, while still being just a big world city with, with great connections across the globe. And that really speaks to the type of founder mix we find making for the companies with the most momentum is companies that combine real industry expertise. So somebody who spent time in, let's say, the oil patch or in offshore wind or in electric vehicle development, energy storage system development, paired with somebody who is a bottoms-up coder, so software engineer, maybe data scientist, whether it's front-end, back-end, full-stack, really understanding the nuts and bolts of how a software product gets built and how a product roadmap gets envisioned and executed. But paired, again, with that first thing, with knowing what the customer's life is actually like. So I think if you talk to the founding teams and the management teams in most of our portfolio companies, you'd see that mix. And they come from all, all different backgrounds, personally and professionally, but have, in really every case, spent a significant amount of time in industry and have somebody in the founding team who's just a world-class tech talent. And is I guess that would be some of the key elements that you're looking for when, you, when you're thinking about investing in a startup, right? You would be looking for people that have a good mixture of those skills already, or was that something that you would help them assemble after maybe placing an investment? Usually already, but it's not always there at exactly the same moment. And we can get pretty hands-on in, in helping make introductions before we even invest if we really okay. like a, a founder or a concept. I'd say the single most important thing, though, is, is truly understanding the problem that you're solving and having a reason to build the company in the first place. You can tell when a founding team just really wants to be tech founders, but don't have a passion for the specific industry they're in, the markets they're in, the, the problems their customers have. And that's not a fit for us, I think. Some of those people are incredibly smart and will will make it. And a bigger, more classic VC strategy of making a whole lot of bets and, and hoping the big ones you know, become the next decacorn works for some, but we look for, for the more fundamental fit early on. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, folks, but I just want to share a few quick things for November. First, our industrial mixers here in Houston, November 17th. It's usually the last Thursday of each month, but because of the holidays, we're having to move stuff around. We're also launching a new live stream, OGGN Unscripted, on November 16th. We'll be at the Rockwell Automation Fair, November 10th to 11th. You can come free. We'll have a live podcast there. We'll be hosting some panels, and then we'll also be at the 23rd World Petroleum Congress, 5th through 9th once again with live podcast and hosting a couple of panels for this information and everything else just follow us on social check us out on linkedin twitter facebook and if you go to linkedin go ahead and join the OGGN street team i'll see you again next month what do you see is the probably the most common missing element that a company might have in their pitch when they're trying to get investor capital from vcs i mean Obviously, they have a pitch deck. Maybe it's something that's missing in there. Is it a, a mm -hmm. good one pager? Is it maybe just the ability to tell the story about the company? What are some of the maybe some of the most common things that you see founders maybe not include or maybe don't spend enough time on? Yeah, it's a good question. And three things come to mind in no particular order. One is really highlighting the experience of the management team and its relevance to to what you're building now. So it's amazing to me and how many pitch decks the team profile page is just is just headshots or just says, you know, worked in energy or worked at big tech company. So 
it doesn't need to be page one, but it shouldn't be page 10 or 30. And it should have some description, some, some really quantification, qualification of who you are and why you're such a good fit to solve the problem you're solving. And to, and to own that and take pride in that. I think it's nice to be humble, of course, that's important, but you need the investor to, to know why you. So I think that's key. Another one is, maybe the most interesting one, is really being able to articulate a company's revenue model, business model, but even just revenue model. What are you getting paid for and how are you being paid? And then, of course, is that profitable? Is that scalable? How much capital does it take? Those are all really important. But the very first point is, is just, especially in an industry as complex as energy with as many counterparties, is the asset owner, is the wind farm or the pipeline owner your customer? Is the service company the customer? Is the asset manager the company the customer? Maybe it's the bank or the insurance company. Maybe it's the crewing management company. So there's so many different workflows involved in building and managing and operating big energy infrastructure and then related businesses, who exactly in that whole system is writing the check that you're going to cash? Or does it flow through one counterparty to another to get to you? And does somebody need to take a spread first? Do you need to have a channel partner? And really being able to articulate that in a way that communicates not just that you know how the industry works, to the point I was making before, but also that you've got a business sense for how this is going to translate into your, you know, first your Excel model and then your your financials as you get customers. I always say the best form of venture capital is revenue, how that's going to work. And, and I do think it's important to have an Excel model of your business from the very early days, not because it's right, it's definitely going to be wrong, but just to force a black and white communication of how the business works. And then the third thing, which is, I hate to, to say it because it's always the least fun thing to ask about and talk about in meetings, but what is the competitive landscape you're in? I think it's a very frequent miss by founders when they're pitching to not be cognizant of the fact that the investor you're talking to, if they're pretty sharp on your industry, will probably have met half a dozen other companies with pretty much the same pitch, at least in terms of the problem that you're solving unless you're hyper, hyper niche or really deep in the tech stack. So just being aware of that, either an investor will ask that or they're thinking it and not asking it. So so being proactive and preempting who are the main people who will come up if I Google what your company does, because I will, <laughs> who will have probably already met or will I meet in the next few weeks as I start digging into your into your market. And just don't tell me you're, you're better or they're not a competitor. Just explain the differences more more pragmatically and, and from a customer's perspective, ideally. Yeah, I think that's always interesting. You know, obviously nobody, we're in a free market. Nobody does business in a vacuum, right? There's mm-hmm. competition for everything, even in, in your industry, right? There's competition. There's VC, oh yeah. No, we have right? that question all the time. Yeah, for sure. There's like every every day you can't open LinkedIn without reading about somebody raising a, an energy or climate fund. So yeah, exactly. And when people ask you questions about, well, why should we choose Blue Bear, right? It's then you can start to get into that differentiation, right? Like that differentiation about why somebody would want to take your check over another VCs. If you wouldn't mind, maybe can you share an interesting or unique story about maybe an investment that you that you guys have made? It, maybe it doesn't even have to be with Blue Bear. Maybe it was previously when you were with a private equity group. You know, is there anything that comes to mind that really would sound like an interesting or unique story to tell about how maybe somebody secured funding 
Yeah, there's so many. You know, each one is it's like an epic movie. But one that just comes to mind right away is Transact. So San Antonio-based company. You may have met Robin and Sam in LA when you were at our event. The founding team, first of all, is just brilliant and magnetic, and they come from the industry but have great and great technology development in the team. What they do is effectively manage a lot of the automate and manage a lot of the environmental risk associated with project development, energy infrastructure, ultimately all kinds of physical infrastructure. And that can sound really niche. And in fact, a lot of investors we talk to, we say, we're really excited about Transact. There's just an enormous market ahead for this. They'll say, really? First of all, it's only software. Second of all, it's only for environmental risk and compliance and project management. And third of all, it's only for energy and industrial assets. It just sounds like a lot of filters to get through. But in reality, every every project needs this work done. You need it done early. Two things that really <laughs> jumped out at us were, one, this is the kind of work that I had to do as a private equity associate and VP. When you're buying a refinery or a wind farm or whatever energy assets, you have to do a bunch of environmental diligence checks and site reports. And it takes tens of thousands of dollars and weeks or months of time before you even know that the project's going to be viable, right? Before you know that there's not an endangered species or a toxic waste spill in the in the 90s that happened there, you know, something that would be a red flag. So that value proposition jumping out at me from direct experience, like really, I can do that in 90 seconds for 10% of what it used to cost and, and, you know, a fraction of the time was compelling. But even more exciting was we weren't really thinking about it as a priority investment. And we got a call from a good friend of ours who's a solar and storage developer saying, hey, you're always asking me what I think about these different software tools for battery storage and solar development. I'm using this tool called Transact right now, and it's the best thing I've ever used. It saves me so much time and it's so easy to work with. The team is so responsive if I need to talk to them. So I don't know what your investment criteria are, but you've got to meet Transact. You should invest in them. So getting that voice of the customer proactively was really exciting. And I think that's actually a tip. I don't think that was planned in any way, but if you're a founder trying to raise capital, getting customers to be champions for you and getting them to be outward, including to investors in their network, can be really effective. That's really interesting that you say that because you know, when we're thinking about, let's say, for instance, from the business development perspective, if you're trying to, you know, maybe sell into a new organization that has a lot of, let's say, bureaucracy, like, let's say, for instance, if I'm trying to sell into a Chevron or an Exxon, and I know that, you know, they're going to make decisions as a group, and I can try and find somebody within that group to champion the sale or champion the business relationship, you're always so much better off. So finding a champion in a customer, right? That's huge because you're getting validation from the market directly that this is a good investment or that they like the product, right? And so I definitely see how that could be a huge step up for any company that's looking to gain investment from a company like VC or like Blue Bear, you know, or trying to get VC capital, right? Trying to get somebody that who's used your product or service to call on your behalf or, you know, just give a, a shining review, right? That's always helpful. And I'm sure you guys read or at least have some way to maybe try and seek out those reviews. It's not like you can probably Yelp these companies (laughs) like you would a restaurant, but I'm sure that there are channels that you guys utilize. That's a really important thing for us. We have a lot of 
relationships with the strategics in the energy industry. I mean, name a strategic and we probably have a quarterly discussion with them or go to each other's drinks events. And, you know, some many cases are, are, are personally friends with somebody in there. Sometimes it's the operations team or, or board level through some past private equity deal. Sometimes it's somebody in their ventures or innovation or digitization or energy transition initiative. The other big channel that we use a lot, the category that I think is somewhat differentiated for, for Blue Bear is the private equity world. There's this great statistic that 40% plus of upstream capital in the U.S. is spent by private equity-owned companies. And founders, especially early-stage tech founders, just don't know that and aren't familiar with that world. Everybody knows Chevron and Exxon and Tesla and you know the big utilities, Con Ed or PG&E or wherever you are, Vistra. The ones that are quietly owned by Blackstone and KKR and Warburg Pincus and you know Goldman Sachs Asset Management, et cetera, are just off the radar. So a lot of those groups have investment and other relationships with Blue Bear, so we can get direct access to, you know, that 40% plus of your end market that not only can be a future customer, but in many cases, maybe eventually a strategic partner or a buyer for your business. And we love bringing a founder's pitch to those companies because they've also been pitched a lot as a customer. So they can give us the customer perspective in addition to our investment perspective. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. One thing that we were discussing in the pre-show meeting was the debate between traditional oil and gas and other forms of energy, specifically renewable energy. And that was something that had sort of been something that had been kind of getting under your skin recently. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe discuss, you know, your feelings and your perspective on it. Yeah, I'd say recently only like the last 10 years. (laughs) This just sense of of us versus them mentality that emerges sometimes from some people and let's say the Houston or the West Texas oil and gas community about renewables and energy transition and ESG being being outside forces and destructive forces that don't understand how important oil and gas is in powering the world economy. And on the other hand, the you know coastal elite air quotes or you know COP twenty six type perspective that the oil and gas industry is evil, outright evil, and destroying the planet. And both of those are just untrue. They're massive oversimplifications. And what we really love is seeing founders and companies that can take the fundamental skills, abilities, experience of the part of the world industry that has built the largest, most complex engineering projects that power the world economy for the last 100 plus years, which has been oil and gas, hydrocarbons, coal included there, and use that skill, that experience, that perspective to build what's going to power the U.S. and the world economy for the next hundred and you know hopefully way way beyond that years. And there's this great line from I think the first OPEC era Saudi oil minister Al Yamani that the Stone Age didn't end for lack of stones. <laughs> so no matter how much you love oil and gas wind, solar, batteries, other technologies are getting cheaper and cheaper and more and more integrated. Many more power demanding sources are being electrified. I'm not saying in the next year, but in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years over the course of your career and your children's lives. So I don't like to see any antagonism between those worlds because I think they've got to evolve together. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree for sure. I think, you know, in order for us to actually go through this digital transformation and energy transition successfully that we have to, you know, 
sort of play the part of everybody's in this together, right? And, you know, we have to work together. And and there's going to be, I think, opportunities to leverage talent from traditional energy like oil and gas, fossil fuels into the renewable sector. I think that's something that, you know, it's, it's all STEM at the end of the day, right? It's all the, some of the same science as far as, you know, just the ABCs of it. So it's just where do you want to spend your time and, and, and trying to get people to realize that, you know, we don't want people to stop getting petroleum engineering degrees. We don't want to stop producing that talent, right? We need future talent. And in order to do that, we need people to have a positive outlook on the industry as a whole and just understand that, you know, we are trying to do the right thing as far as, you know, leave a better planet for our children. And that's really important. But we can't, you know, completely abandon the resources that we've developed over the last, like you said, 100 and some odd years, right? So it's really interesting. One last question before we go. I want you to let the listeners know how they can connect with Blue Bear, how they can connect with you, where they can find information about you guys and learn more about your funds and what you guys do. Sure. Well, we try to be very open. Of course, we don't always get around to answering everything, but be shameless about chasing us <laughs> multiple <laughs> times because emails do sometimes just get lost. But we are on Twitter at BlueBearCap, C-A-P is the handle there. A DM or a tweet there is always easy to pick up. We're on LinkedIn at, at Blue Bear Capital and also on email info at BlueBearCapCAP.com or messaging me directly, Ernst at BlueBearCap.com. So we'll try to respond to any and all those channels. And we're really excited to meet people who are building the next wave of exciting and impactful energy technology businesses. Awesome. And listeners, we want to thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Please make sure to jump in our weekly giveaway, which is our backpack from Halliburton Labs. It's a 100% recycled material. It's really awesome. And also, please be sure to rate, review, and give feedback on the show. With that being said, Ernst, I think we're going to get out of here, man. You ready to go? I am. Thanks, Jose. It's been fun. You guys keep up the fire over there, okay? All right. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.